When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as oh, you say. I like that. I like that one hey, too. That was mine. Really. <laughs> that was mine. Hi, 50 Ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome back to the first episode of Don't Give a 50 for 2022. It's a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50 like us. Happy New Year, Trish. Yes, <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Certainly wasn't the Christmas break we we're all hoping no. for. It was, I think um, there was a lot of anticipation that Christmas was going to be all that and more this year. It was an interesting one. Once again, I think the COVID came to the party more yeah. than we were <laughs> hoping for. But we all got through it, which is good. Well, getting, well, we did, through getting through it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which is good. So once again, thank you all for your support since our launch in August last year and for showing up again for another year. We're so excited and happy to be back. It's because of all of your generous encouragement and feedback that we are. So thank you. It would be awesome if you could keep the love coming our way. Please tell your fellow 50-ishers about us, share our podcast and encourage them to subscribe as well. Not off to a great start, Trish. I'm... (laughs) That's all right. You're just getting rid of the cobwebs. Just getting rid of the cobwebs. Just got to blow out a few cobwebs here, 50 issues, so bear with me. So when Trish and I sat down to plan out the podcast for this year, we were both in a bit of a quandary as to where to kick it all off. We'd both been out quite a lot over the Christmas New Year period, which involved a fair bit of indulging and overindulging, and we were also running on low. You know, when your reserves are starting to run out, the tank's almost empty, you feel like crap or you're just 50 and tired. So when we came across Sarah Rusbatch, there was an aha. No, we're not talking about the 1980s Norwegian pop band, but a very real sense that this was the way to go for us to start out 2022. 
So Sarah Rusbatch is a certified health and wellness coach, accredited grey area drinking coach, host of two thriving online communities for women in sobriety and a passionate ambassador for supporting women as they change their relationship with alcohol for good. Sarah has been sober since early 2019, following a two-year journey of attempting and failing to moderate her alcohol consumption. With her decision to remove alcohol from her life completely came many unexpected joys, including the feeling of absolute and total freedom. Prior to working in health and wellness coaching, Sarah spent 20 plus years working as a career coach, helping individuals identify and reach their career goals. Hello and welcome, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. Happy New Year to you girls. How are you going? Yeah, very well. Good, thank, thank you. you. Very well. Very well. Sarah, firstly, congratulations for changing your life when you felt it you needed to, your conviction to sticking to it, and also for recognising the need to support and help many other people do the same. You started this journey, if you'll excuse that somewhat overused <laughs> buzzword, journey, journey. <laughs> with a few false starts, and now you're close to celebrating. Are you actually close to or celebrating a thousand days sober now? It's tomorrow, my 1,000 days. Oh, my oh gosh, yay! yay. yay. <laughs> well done. Can, Sarah, can you share with us and our 50-ish tribe about your path to giving up, the actual giving up? your why and how you went about making that huge change? You know, just a, an easy little question. Yeah, just easy off. first question for you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, look, my drinking was always social. I was always a big drinker. I always loved to drink. I discovered alcohol growing up in northern England in the 80s and 90s. Age 14, we kind of got our cider, went down the bus stop. That was how we spent our weekends. And I then went into uni, went moved to London in my 20s. And alcohol was always there, but it was always something that was done socially. It was never did I think I had a problem. I was, you know, I was growing up in that era where women could be the same as men. Our role models were women that drank whiskey meat out of a bottle. We were kind of like girl power, all of that. And I kind of fully embraced that. So yes, I was a big drinker. Yes, I was always the one that wanted to keep the party going, never wanted it to end. Come back to my house. Let's keep going. Let's have more drinks. Oh, Sarah, I can relate to that so well. But never did I have that, oh, I must drink on my own during the week or anything like that. It was very much social. Then what happened was we had a baby, got married, had a baby and moved to Perth very quickly, got pregnant again. And all of a sudden I found myself living in Perth, away from my family, away from my friends with two young children under two. I was no longer working, whereas I'd had this hugely successful career in London. I'd been independent. I was flying away for weekends around Europe. And all of a sudden, my world completely changed. My husband had set up a business in Perth. We'd just moved here. He was out all day, every day. And I was at home with two very, very young, demanding kids. And alcohol took on a completely different role in my life. That's when it became my friend. That's when it became my reward at the end of the day. That's when it became something that I looked forward to each and every day to kind of take the edge off because I deserved it. I would have days when I would be standing at the edge of the driveway waiting for my husband to come home from work and I would be handing him the kids with tears streaming down my face and I would go and sit oh, inside darling. and I would drink wine. Yeah. And looking back, I can see at the time it was completely normal because that was mummy wine culture, right? I deserve kids because my I drink wine because my kids wine or like mummy's fruit <laughs> juice, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, we are yeah. so conditioned to believe 
it's okay to drink wine if you're a mum. It's expected. You deserve it. I don't remember my um, son's first birthday because I was so pissed. Like it, 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 but but we're encouraged to believe that that's okay and that's normal. Yeah, you so got through the first year. You there, deserve it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what carried on from there was that just carried on in um I you know the school mum culture meeting you know and I'm not saying it was anyone else's fault I was the life and soul of this I wanted this to happen but there was wine everywhere and it was a big part of my life and and slowly but surely as I got into my 40s it wasn't the fun thing anymore the the impact it was having on me the mental health issues the anxiety that I was suffering the next day the self-remorse, oh, I promised myself I was only going to have two and I finished the bottle, or I promised I drove somewhere so that I wouldn't have more than one or two and I'd drive home, but no, I left the car and got an Uber, and then, oh, my God, I wake up in the morning, I've got to get the car, I've got to do all of that. Every time I drank, waking up at 3 a.m. with that anxiety and that feeling of, oh, my God, what have I done? I promised myself I wasn't going to drink last night, can't get back to sleep, and there's actually a physiological reason as to why that happens, particularly for women as we get older in perimenopause years and hormones and everything like that. And then I had a couple of incidents, one where I had a really bad face planting, fell over, smashed my face on a pavement when I was really drunk. Another one, I'd gone out for a friend's birthday it started at 12. It was a free-flowing champagne. God, it was my favorite thing to do. $50 for three hours of free-flowing champagne. Hello. So we started at 12 <laughs> and I got home at two in the morning. So 14 hours of drinking champagne. The next morning yeah. at 8 a.m. I had to take my son to cricket, but I couldn't because I was still over the limit. And that feeling. Mm. I even feel nauseous son, hearing that story. Yeah, I, I do know, too. Right? <laughs> We've Absolutely. all been there. I, my so stomach is churning. Absolutely nauseous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that was that was an extreme event, but it was yeah. still wasn't unusual either. And to have that feeling, I can't take my son to the thing that he loves most in the world because his mum is over the limit at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. That really sat quite heavily with me. So at that point, I decided to take a break. So that was April 2017. And I said, I'm going to do 21 days. I'm going to reset. I just need to detox. I just need to sort this out. And 21 days turned into 100 because it was like, wow, oh my goodness, I feel amazing. I am sleeping so well. I've got energy. My anxiety has disappeared. I feel positive. I feel happy. I have these weekends where this time just stretches out all day where I never have to factor in, drink, factor in drinking or being hungover or, or anything like that. So those 100 days was my first glimpse of me without alcohol, what life was like without alcohol, because we're so conditioned to believe it's boring. It's going to be terrible. It's like mm-hmm. a prison sentence, right? Oh, my God, I'm on antibiotics. I can't drink for five days. That's how we look at it, right? And then it was like, oh, my God, I've done 100 days and I feel amazing. But then I was like, but I can't not drink forever. That would just be weird. So I'm okay <laughs> now. I've done 100 days. I'll be able to moderate. Like, I'm fixed. I'll be able to be a normal drinker now. Within two weeks, I was back to drinking the same amount as before. Okay. Yeah. It's like that diet culture, isn't it, that, that you know, you, you go without for so long, you think that when you're in that zone that you're never going to be any different because this feels so good, but then yeah. that slide is so slippery once you get back on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what followed for, was then a two years of trying to moderate, doing another 100 days off, going back to drinking, taking breaks. My poor husband, what he had to put up with over that two years. <laughs> but I've never forgotten who I was and how I felt those hundred days. I never forgot that. 
and what I'd learned about alcohol and all the books that I'd read and what I'd learned about what it was doing, why it caused anxiety, why it caused me to wake up at 3 a.m., why it was robbing me of my energy, my motivation, my mental clarity, why I had such high estrogen was all linked to how much alcohol I was drinking. And yet nobody tells us this. There's so much information that we don't know about. And I've read all of this and you can't unknow it when you know it. I tried for two years to moderate. I tried so hard to moderate because I wanted that to be the answer. I wanted to be someone that could just have one glass of wine with their Sunday dinner and not think about alcohol any other time. But I'm not that person. I'm an all or nothing in most things in my life. That was my next question. You've just answered it. I was going to say, so you would define yourself as an all or nothing girl? I would, absolutely. But I also now what I know about alcohol is that for most people, when they've got past the point of being able to take it or leave it, when they've started using alcohol in any kind of dysfunctional way where they're, they're using it to change their state of mind, they're using it to soothe them for whatever the reasons, when we get to that point, it's very unusual that you would ever be a moderate drinker again. This alcohol only goes one way. <laughs> I'm just yeah. finding this so interesting. I'm just I'm glued to the screen watching yeah. you and listening to this, um, Sarah. And we are going to actually talk about the link to anxiety and sort of share some personal insights. But one thing I did want to ask you was the whole idea of grey area drinking. So I'm going to fully admit that I've, I'd actually never heard of it until I found out about you and, and started doing some research leading up to today's uh, episode with you. So for those who also don't know, can you please enlighten us a little on what grey area drinking is? Yeah, so I would never have defined myself as an alcoholic. We have that stereotypical idea of what is an alcoholic. It's someone that drinks all day, every day. They need alcohol when they wake up in the morning. They're drinking off a park bench with a brown paper bag. Um, I didn't fit that stereotype. But what is the fine line? When does someone go from being a heavy drinker to an alcoholic? Like it's a pretty arbitrary decision there, right? Gray area drinking. You think of someone's drinking as being on a scale of one to 10. One is someone that very rarely drinks, maybe has a glass of champagne at a wedding. That's it. 10 is someone who's physically dependent on alcohol, needs to have medical support to stop drinking or they would die. Right. You've got two extremes there. What's in the middle? And this is the whole thing that up until now, no one has talked about alcohol addiction as anything other than one or the other. But the gray area is the people that probably hover between a five and an eight where they have developed a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, but there is no support in society to stop. I've got clients who've been turned away from drug and alcohol rehab clinics because they're not drinking enough. Yeah, Yeah. wow. So it's a full spectrum, isn't it? And there's just where you sit on that spectrum. And it could be just different, whether it be midweek or I know myself, I I can go without a drink midweek. I can go without drinks for ages, but come to a party, a wedding, a holiday, a social event, I am the first out of the gates going, all guns are blazing, let's go, let's go. And a friend of mine, her husband, (laughs) shout out to Nick, once said we were going to the races and he said, you two were like dogs let off a leash. I said, you can get the visuals of dogs and cats running around the house doing zoomies, you know, it's just that level of excitement. But what I find is I have so much fun. I love it, but I don't know. I can't. The stop button is really hard. So it's almost like I keep going because I'm having fun and I want everyone else to have fun and I don't want the fun to stop. But then at some stage, 
that inability to make that call then undoes all the fun. So then, as you've mentioned, you wake up with the anxiety. You have the remorse and and that's what I find really difficult. But then I also think of life without alcohol and I think, oh, my God, am I going to be so boring? Like I come from a family that's so much fun, but a lot of our fun times revolve around alcohol as well. So I almost feel like if so many things in life part of who you are made up of is what you do, this, that and the other, who you are. And sometimes I feel like part of my persona is the party girl. There's an expectation that when I come out, it'll be fun or Trish will be fun or this is going to be fun or whatnot. And you you are lots of fun. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'll indicate that I'm feeling some remorse and, you know, you get that, oh, no, you were fine, you were fun, no, don't change, all of that sort of stuff. But, and I guess it's, it's as I get older, the anxiety, as you mentioned, is getting worse. So I don't know if it's the body's ability to process the alcohol gets worse or if it's the alcohol, the menopause and the perimenopause affecting how you, how alcohol affects you. I don't really know, but I guess it's a bit of a long-winded question, but I think the main thing with me is the fear about not being fun anymore, not feeling fun anymore, like a, a life without a boring life or FOMO, that fear of missing out. So, you know, what? how did you deal with that? And I guess what are some of the unexpected benefits that you found being sober? Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so I think, and I was exactly the same. And that was why it, I tried for two years to moderate. And I tried for two years to not have to believe that I had to stop forever. But as soon as I stopped, as soon as I made that decision came total freedom, because then I got to... I still go to parties until two in the morning. I, I, it's all about the people now, because here's the thing, right? We think that we need alcohol to have fun. But most of the time, when we're with people that light us up, that make us feel good about ourselves, that do all that we feel love and, and connection with, our body releases endorphins, gotcha. right? So we associate that it's the alcohol that's made it great fun and all the rest of it. But your physical body, let's let our body do what it's yeah. meant to do. Let's let the neurotransmitters in the brain do what they're meant to do in a natural, authentic way. What I realized was I could never be my natural, authentic self if I was drunk or hung over all the time. I wasn't the mum I wanted to be. I didn't. I was in a job that didn't fulfill me because I had no mental clarity or motivation or confidence to make a change to that. Here's alcohol keeps our world so small. We're so led to believe that it's what we need to have fun, to create connection, to be popular, to be successful, to have great sex, to a, attract the opposite sex, like all of that. And I can honestly tell you, it's That's so true. true, isn't it? Because like even in the workplace, networking events, socialising, especially when you're young, all of that, all of those events revolve so heavily around that alcohol culture. Absolutely. Sarah, I've got, I've got two questions. So when you do go to an event, what do you drink? And when you're not drinking after that you declare, well, I'm not drinking, yeah. I, I don't drink, how do you then deal with the sometimes the heckling or the pressure around that? So what do you drink and then how do you deal with the pressure to drink? Yeah, and look, we've got such a long way to come in Australia. We are so far behind in the alcohol-free movement. When I went back to the UK, don't think I'll ever get there again living oh, yeah. in WA <laughs> after last night's announcement, but hey-ho. Um, 2018, I went back last and even then, nearly four years ago, every restaurant you went to had a full page of alcohol-free beer, gin, wow. and wine. 
you come here in 2022 and I don't know I, I mean I think it's getting better over on yeah. the east coast but it's still not amazing and here in Perth we are so far behind so I've set up an alcohol-free drinks business to try but even then the restaurants and bars won't buy from us because they're like nobody wants it nobody mm-hmm. wants it so most of the time I drink soda water because I'm not five and I don't want a high sugar yeah, yeah. drink and this is the whole thing is that having an alcohol-free champagne is a beautiful drink to have it doesn't trigger me I love having alcohol-free champagne and I go out with my girlfriends because I still want to get dressed up and go out and have a great night. And I'd love to have an alcohol-free champagne, but you can't get mm. it anywhere. I often sneak it That's in. That's a in my great idea. Good, good work. And good I work. know too, like when I have gone out and not been drinking and you ask for soda water or something, I'll often say, can I have it in a red wine glass, a big glass with ice? You mm, know, it's just yeah. that that feeling. And as you're saying, getting dressed up, it's that holding the champagne flute or holding the big red wine glass. Yeah. It's part of the whole feeling glamorous. So <laughs> we love that. We love that. Love too. to feel glamorous. Yes, we do. So if you, so um, bearing in mind that you do live in a world that is a little bit behind the whole alcohol-free environment, are you ever pressured? Come on, Sarah, just have one. Oh, like what's, yeah. the, what's the harm in Absolutely. one? That sort of thing. Absolutely. Not, not now because people know that I'm so cemented in my sobriety, but at the beginning it would be like, oh, go on, just have one. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not taking. <laughs> you say to someone, oh, I've stopped smoking. Good for And they you. go, good yeah. on you. You say to someone, I've stopped drinking. And they go, oh, don't be so boring. Just have mm-hmm. one. And so I have a whole list of responses, depending on what mood I'm in. I was at a dinner party recently, and there was a woman, I'd never met her before. And she went to top up my wine glass. And I said, no, thanks, I don't drink. And she looked at me, she went, why are you an alcoholic? Oh. That's inappropriate. Society has got so far to go in this country yeah. to, to, to be able to get to the point where it's acceptable yeah. not to drink. Let's not forget, you know, sometimes people go, why don't you drink? And I'll go, because I prefer not spending my time consuming a class one carcinogen. Yeah. Let's, not, <laughs> let's not get, uh, you know, lose the fact that one in five breast cancer diagnoses in Australia are directly caused yes. by alcohol. Wow. Like, let's not get away from that. Three glasses of wine a week increases your chance of breast cancer by 15%. Yeah. Alcohol increases the estrogen in your bloodstream by 200%. And if you're on HRT, it increases it by 300%. We're not, you know, why do we have to justify not taking a drug that causes all of this? Mm, So true. So sometimes I will say I'm training for a marathon. I'm on antibiotics. um, I feel great without alcohol. Um, Everything that alcohol promised sobriety is delivered. Even, I guess, just that, you know, I choose not to. Full stop. The end. I, I pre- win. I prefer not to. I know. <laughs> yeah. Shut your hole. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Sarah, as we get older, common dialogue around alcohol includes things like, you know, I can't drink like I used to. The hangovers are much worse. It makes takes me at least three days to recover. Obviously, age has an impact. Potentially, our overworked liver struggling to filter everything we put into our bodies. And it's interesting that the grey area drinking is so common amongst women and Mm. also an area that kind of escalates during perimenopause and menopause. And you've touched on it there briefly as well with the oestrogen increase. How does alcohol affect our hormones? Obviously it it raises the oestrogen. Is there something to do with how it processes the alcohol as well as we age? Well, there's a couple of things there. So I had really high estrogen dominance and my naturopath said to me, your estrogen is so high, you have to stop drinking. 
And I just didn't understand, well, what's the link between estrogen and alcohol? What it is, is our body, our liver will always process external substances before it processes what the body makes itself. So if we're always drinking, the liver is just busy, busy, busy processing alcohol. So then the estrogen starts to build up because it's not being processed uh, yes. by the alcohol. And then you end up with estrogen dominance. So that's you know a, a big reason there. In terms of the anxiety, this is what happens. So you have a glass of wine and let's just say your baseline is zero. You have a glass of wine, you get the dopamine flooding in the brain, you feel all great, you feel nice, and you go up to a six, yep. say. When the alcohol effect wears off, you don't go back to zero, you go back to about minus three. So then you're playing catch up just to even get back to where you were before you started. So then the next drink won't take you quite as high as the first one. We're always chasing that first yeah. high, right? So then you might get to a number four and then you drop to a minus five. Then you get to a one. And so you're always playing catch up, but you can't um, you can't ever get to where you need to, where you want to, because the alcohol doesn't ever give you the same impact as that yep. first drink. So in actual fact, you just are then craving a drink to get to your baseline of zero. And you believe that alcohol is what makes you happy. But in actual fact, it's all what it's what you're craving because you're mm. down here. You're, you know, alcohol, when we and um, our beautiful brain hates the imbalance of all of these flooding of neurotransmitters. So when we get flooded with dopamine um, after we've had a drink, it will release a hormone to make to counter the impact of this high. So our beautiful brain can't cope with that and it actually makes us anxious. So and that's depressed. where the term anxiety comes in, isn't it? It's that, you know, we exactly. think it's just the the kind of the drinker's remorse, but it's actually a chemical transaction going on. And that's why we wake up at three o'clock in the morning, because it's those hormones processing the sugar and and adjusting. But what I'm finding lately as well, Sarah, is that I can, you know, I'll go through the three o'clock wake up and I'll be thinking about oh, my God, did I take it too far? Didn't I? What's going on in my life? What's going on in the world? Rah, 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 rah. And then I actually can say to myself now, it's just alcohol. It's your body processing the alcohol. It'll be better in the morning, go to sleep. So I can actually say that internally and out loud, and it does help. I do have to put a sleep meditation on as well to just block it out. What I find is the next day I can be okay, but then three days later that real drinker's remorse can kick back in. Yeah. And I think it depends. Like it takes up to three days for alcohol to leave the body. Yeah. Okay. So even if you're not drinking every single day, if you're drinking three times a week or twice a week, you're still going to go through alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. One glass of wine impacts your sleep. Just one glass of wine. And when, so what happens is we need, we go through two different sleep cycles that the brain really needs. One is REM sleep and one is the other deep sleep. We need all of the neuroscience now shows that we need REM sleep in order to for to live longer, to prevent disease like dementia and Alzheimer's. When you drink alcohol, you get zero REM sleep. Sarah, on that REM zero. sleep, wow. is that the sleep? You know, I know that there's some saying out there that if you sleep between that, the sleep before midnight mm-hmm. is the most important. Is that is, is that, that REM part sleep? of it? Is that no? So. So REM sleep is the part when you're dreaming. So if you think about okay. it, alcohol oh, okay. makes you pass out. So you might yeah. pass out and go into alcohol-induced coma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't get that REM sleep that the brain will usually have five cycles a night of REM sleep if you're getting eight hours wow. sleep. If you drink okay. alcohol, you might drop that down to one or two. Yeah. Yeah. And if That's you're doing that regularly, yeah. if you're drinking three or four nights a week, 
the impact to your brain for your longevity in life, your risk against brain diseases is deeply, deeply affected. It's interesting because I'm not an all or nothing girl. I am someone who exercises moderation in a lot of areas of my life. So when you talk about the rules around moderation, as someone who considers themselves a moderation drinker, I'm keen to understand what the rules are around that. Because when you say like someone who drinks three nights a week, I do. Like I abstain through the week, Monday through Thursday, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I allow myself the choice to have a drink. I very rarely have more than two. Sarah, I noticed um, a friend of yours on your Instagram refers to it as Moderation Mary or Cold Turkey Caroline. I'm definitely (laughs) Cold Turkey Caroline. So I'm... Moderation Mel. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm just interested in how you define moderation and also what are the rules. When you talk about the rules from your website, there was rules around moderation and I'm interested to know about those. So in terms of how I define moderation, to me, moderation is having one or two drinks and not having to put any willpower on yourself to not have more. You can happily have one or Mm. two a couple of nights a week and you don't think about it. It doesn't take up brain space anymore. For me, if I was to have one or two drinks, I could do it, but the internal chatter in my head would be constant. Oh, but you could oh have my gosh, one. got if it. You have another one, but then if you have one tomorrow and you don't drink tomorrow, then that's okay. You could have that one tonight. You know, blah, 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 blah. That was always going on in my yeah. head. Okay. You could have an espresso martini instead of dessert. That'll cancel it out. That's okay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. what you need. Caffeine okay. and alcohol as your last drink. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a lethal combination. Okay, I don't have that. So yeah. that explains it very, very clearly. I feel satisfied. Yeah. After those two drinks, like occasionally if we're out, there might, there might be a third one. Very, very rarely would it push into four. And that's, and I was not a, a moderation drinker when I was young. I was a full-blown yeah. binge drinker, you know, party hard. I was living in Dubai, yeah. lived overseas, lived in Sydney, you know, partied hard. But as I've got older, it is one of those things where I do tend to, I don't know, just moderate. But I, it's, I'm really comfortable with it. And I think you go one way or the other. As you get older, I've got friends that went down the path of what you've just described, and I've got friends that went down my path. But I think the reason that my story is so common is because so many of my ladies say that it was after having kids that their drinking changed and their need for some kind of release and some letter from the huge life change, perhaps, of being at home with children after having a career or not going out socialising with your mates anymore. But if you've got to that point in your life where you're using alcohol to numb and you're using it as a tool to change how you're feeling, then you're going down that path. That's a, that, And that's a critical point, isn't yeah. it? If you're using it as a tool to change how you're feeling, to numb something. Totally. How many times yeah. do people yeah. say, oh, I've had a shit day, and then you put that on a group WhatsApp, how many people will reply, go and pour yourself a glass of wine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we have nothing 100%. else in our toolkit. We are conditioned yeah. to believe that alcohol is the answer if we've had a shit day. Yeah. No one says go and pour yourself a glass of soda water. <laughs> no. No. No one. <laughs> doesn't sound glamorous, does it? It does not sound glamorous. <laughs> and it's funny listening to that. I'm ruminating in my mind, okay, is that me? Do I use it as a tool? Absolutely sometimes. And then sometimes I think I just do it because it's fun. But like you, I don't stop. So then I spoil my own fun. So clearly it's a sign. Trisha, <laughs> Trisha I guess it's, it's a sign. It's a sign. Um, to mention 
like the, some of the signs that you're a grey area drinker. So the, the ones that I take people through are, do you make rules around your drinking and then break them? Do you yes, set an okay. amount around how much you're allowed to drink and then you don't stick to it? Have you noticed yes. that alcohol is the first thing that comes into your mind as a solution to a, an uncomfortable emotion that you're feeling? Okay. Are you having yes. internal chatter in your head about your drinking? Are you, have you even yes. asked yourself, is my relationship with alcohol okay? If you've even asked yourself that question, you've probably got a problem. Like, yes. do you know what I mean? Like some of those, many yeah. people could go through and go. Yeah, well, it, looks, yeah. it looks like I may have a perfect score there. Bugger <laughs> <laughs> it. No, but here's no, the no. thing yeah. that I then say to that is, most adults in the Western world will never, ever take a long enough break from alcohol to know how they feel without it. And that's what I say to all my ladies is just see it as an experiment. Give yourself three months off and say, right, I'm seeing this as an experiment just to see how I do life and how I do me without booze, because I can guarantee it. It's not what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I have done that before. And I absolutely agree that you do feel fantastic, you motivated. Have, you've, you're very good with that. <laughs> but once again, the slippery slide <laughs> I talk of is very real. And I think someone actually like puts water and soap saps on it sometimes. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I slippery. Yeah. Sarah, you, you talk about your mission or one of your missions is to support as many women as possible to change their relationship with al- alcohol, reconnect to themselves and create a happy, healthier and more fulfilling life. So can you explain how our relationship with alcohol can affect how we connect with ourselves? I'm interested in that specific relationship. And that's been a big part of my journey, if not the biggest part. And there's that word journey again, but it has been a journey because I would say that when I stopped drinking, I was not connected to myself. And now I am so connected. I tune into myself. I've got intuition. I've got gut instinct. I listen to my body. I know what it needs. I notice when I'm being triggered by what someone said. And instead of just responding and shouting and being angry or reaching for a wine, I'll go, isn't that interesting? That that person has triggered me in some way. What is that related to? I can inquire within now instead of being this hot-headed, responsive person that just screams or shouts or drinks as her only response to, to something that triggered me. And so I think you can't help but go on a journey of self-connection and self-discovery when you remove alcohol. And one of the coaching programs that I offer women is they do a 30-day program with me, but then they go on what's called Rediscovering Me. And it's an eight-week journey of rediscovering who the hell we are if we're not Sarah the party girl anymore. And it's getting to know our authentic self because you don't know your authentic self when you're drinking every day. No, that's Mm. so true. Mm. And I love that you've mentioned, Mm. isn't that interesting? Because I'm trying to use that sentence a lot when people will react or do something rather than put your preconceived notion as to why they've done that to just Mm. take a breath and go, isn't that interesting? Where is that coming from? Why are they saying that? Is it something I'm doing? Is it something in their life? Like rather than just react and put your own story onto what they've said. So it gives you the time and space to do that, be more thoughtful. Do you define changing your relationship with alcohol as total abstinence or can there be a happy medium? We have touched on this, I suppose. I don't, the the way that it works for people like me who have developed a relationship with alcohol that was never take it or leave it, um, and I did use it to numb emotions and, and all the rest of it. 
now I would never want to pick up a drink again because I think that I'd be right back where I started because all the evidence shows me and all the I've got women in my groups who've done five years alcohol free they thought I can be um, a moderate drinker now and they're straight back where they were the brain never forgets mm. those neural pathways yeah, yeah. Will never ever yeah, yeah okay but the interesting That's thing is that I don't even want a drink now because I've found freedom from it because I can see it for what it is. And I can see it for the yeah, great, great marketing that big alcohol has done to make us believe that we need it to have fun, to be sexy, to create connection. And now I've realized that's rubbish. I've done all of that yeah. without it. So why would I need to, <laughs> to add that to my life? Yeah, Sarah, I saw one of your social posts just the other day. I've been stalking you online, I must say, (laughs) Um, and I loved it. And and if you could share it with our listeners as well, you had were talking about the unexpected benefits that you discover constantly with being sober and living a sober life. And one of them related to you just done some breath work. And if I may quote you, you said that the you hadn't felt the experience was being the same as being on the dance floor in 1997 when Carl Fox came on and the entire club erupted and put their hands in the air <laughs> to pure love. <laughs> now, I actually had to, gu- um, to, gu- to Google. Google pure love, but when I did, I recognised it. And just saying that story and listening to the song, I got absolute goosebumps because it was so well articulated, that feeling. Because that's one of the other things I think about alcohol is I love to dance and I love that free feeling of dancing but dancing sober sometimes feels just so awkward and I think, you know, am I going to be able to do it? <laughs> yeah, and it takes a while to get used to it. But, yeah, I mean, this has been the gift of sobriety. My world has opened up so much. Who'd have thought that I'd be at a breathwork class at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning getting an absolute rushing high with goosebumps all over my body and feeling yeah. like I was on another planet? Like, this, my world is so big now. I'm trying new things. Mm. I'm doing new things. I've stepped out of my comfort zone. I stood on stage in front of 200 employees of a major mining company talking about my journey to giving up alcohol. I'm being signed up by other companies to go and give talks about the impact of alcohol on mental health. And I've overcome my fear of public speaking. Like My world is mm. so different to what it was before when I was mm. sat at home drinking wine every night. Isn't it interesting that alcohol was that critical link, Sarah, to yeah. releasing you and yeah. being free? Set me free, girl. Set me free. (laughs) It's not just me. I'm not alone. Like I've got women in my group. I've got Mm. a group now of 10,000 women who are all changing their relationship with alcohol. Maybe 10,001 after today. (laughs) (laughs) 10,001 after today. Yeah, come into my group, Trish. (laughs) Um, You've got your hands full with this one, love. (laughs) I did an interview in um, Mamma Mia in November and I shared my story of giving up drinking and 5,500 women emailed me in two days. Wow. wow. See, it is such an important mm. message and it, I think it resonates with so many of us that have that internal dialogue like yeah. I do. It's like, well, do I want to? I don't want to. I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. It's just a full rumination in your mind. Mm. There's many voices up there. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, if you're in your head, you're behind enemy yes. lines. Yeah, exactly. Sarah, we have uh, one final question for you and we ask all our uh, guests this question and I almost think that I know what uh, your answer is going to be yes. and that is that what would the, the the current Sarah, if you could go back in time and talk to your 20-ish self, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself be brave. Don't 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 hide. You, you've got this and your journey, you know, I, spent, I, have, I was so anxious and I hid behind alcohol for so long 
And I would just want to hold my hand and just say, it's going to be okay, but be brave and trust that your path will be as it needs to be. Oh, I got yeah. goosebumps. That is so beautiful. And that's the thing. If only we yeah. said that to ourselves back then. <laughs> if only we had the wisdom yeah. and the life experience, but you, but know you can't, what? can you? The thing is, I, I believe that if somebody asks us that question in another 20 or 30 years, we're mm. probably going to say the same thing. Mm. You know, it's, that, it's just that ability to have the yeah. confidence in ourselves that we are okay and we're on the right path. Our 80-ish self <laughs> going to talk to our 50 God willing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fifty Issues, Sarah, has lots of information on her website, including a great blog, and we'll pop the details in the show notes so you can find out about her work and in touch and get in touch, sorry. She also has an amazing distribution company for alcohol-free spirits, wine, champagne, which mm. I am dying to try. Mm. Sarah, it has been so awesome having you on to chat, and I really just think... You are such an inspiration. We thank you for all the support and encouragement and the path you are providing for all the others to make this journey. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. And it is a journey. It's a huge journey. And um, well done. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's it's having a platform like this that that helps me share. And for any woman that's listening right now and is resonating with this, just know that you're not alone. And just know that there is another way to do life and there is another way to be you. And I'm here to support as many women as I can to find that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? They're not alone. None of us are. Yeah, we're all in this 50-ish tribe together. Absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 or email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. And remember our gorgeous 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we are all awesome regardless of age and living is an absolute Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.